This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right, everyone, we're going to get started here. Uh, good morning, everyone. Did you guys have a good night's rest? Uh, I know for me, I, I'm, I'm refreshed. Uh, got some sleep last night, and um, you guys look refreshed, too. Uh, did you have a good breakfast? Good. We're going to get started with our second presentation here. The second one is entitled, Through Which Medium? The Middle of the Controversy. And again, as I said yesterday, um, these titles that mean absolutely nothing. They're just something that I submitted so that program could look at something. Today we're going to do a Bible study on, on what Jesus has to say on liberals and conservatives. Um, well, my, my understanding of it. <clears throat> and uh, it builds upon yesterday's presentation. By raise of hands, what do you guys remember from yesterday's presentations? If you don't remember anything at all, that's fine. Yep. Mary? <laughs> oh, you just raised your hand that you, you remembered something. Okay. What do you remember from yesterday? <laughs> the pendulum swinging. Okay. Okay, we need to be in the center. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. There are there are attributes of both sides that, that are good. Yeah. Okay. He took your answer. Okay. He apologizes. Okay. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah. Okay. There's a plethora of interpretations. And what's the root of the matter in the end? Your lenses. And what is what is that lens? How you interpret Bible. Okay. So I'm a firm believer that there are not a multiple of interpretations of Scripture found in Scripture. Those, the, the multiplicities come from the human being, and we, we impose upon those texts. Second Peter chapter 1 talks about there's no private interpretation. There's only one interpretation. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the, the active component. He is the active component for that uh, interpretation. Before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Um, I want to ask you, if you just one more time, if you, can have, if you have cell phones, please turn them off. And if you have a beeper, I don't know who has a beeper in this day and age, unless you're a drug dealer, just turn them off, and uh, we'll pray for you if you are a drug dealer. Okay? Let's have a word of prayer before we start. Gracious Lord, we thank you for another day of life. And Father, it being the last day of 2010, Father, we thank you for having been with us throughout the year, uh, throughout the high, point, th- the high points and uh, the low points of this year. And, uh, Father, we bow our heads. We ask for one more blessing from, for the rest of this day. And uh, what a wonderful place to be when the year does change. Um, help our hearts, help our minds to be recalibrated to the image and the glory and the character of Jesus Christ. This we pray uh, humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' day, there were seven classes of people, seven classes. Come on in, you guys. Come on in. Sit down in a seat. There's many seats here. Because of fire code, you cannot be standing or sitting on the floor. Or, um... Oh, that's not my breakfast? Oh, thank you so much. Great. I'll be eating while presenting. I was just kidding. Okay, let's go. Seven, seven classes of people. There are zealots, tax collectors, the Essens, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Herodians, and there are regular, normal people. Okay, uh, outside of these three people, uh, the seven types. There, there are probably others you can think of, but um, the primary classes are that much. Uh, how many of you remember the song when you were little? Um, uh, I just want to be a sheep. Ba 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 ba. I just want. I don't want to be a Pharisee because it's not fair. You see. I don't want to be a Sadducee, but it's so Sadducee. Okay, you get the point. Uh, I don't want to be a hypocrite because it's not hip with it. That was back when the word hip was, was hip. Uh, anyway, the, these are the seven classes that, that we're going to be talking about. Not all of them, but some of them. Zealots. Zealots were the terrorists of their day. They were anti-Roman. Um, they believed in suicide. Uh, the end justifies the means. How many of you guys know Masada in the Middle East, the fortress made out of rock? And the Romans were encamped out there and, and laying siege upon this fortress. And all of them wanted, said that uh, rather than submitting to the Romans, they casted lots. And two guys, was it three guys? Or I forgot how the story goes, but they went around and killed everyone. And of those three guys, they cast lots. And one of them killed the other two. 
and the last guy committed suicide. Um, they, they were hardcore guys. Uh, they were terrorists of their day, and one of them is a popular one. Does anyone know whose name is? Okay, Simon Zelides was uh, one of the zealots. Okay, so one of Jesus' 12 was a terrorist. And you can just imagine the presuppositions that Simon had when Jesus said, hey, we're going we're gonna to change the world. Well, he was thinking, yeah, we're going to change the world in, in, a, in a terroristic framework. And um, very, very fascinating. Just imagine the internal dialogues that the, the 12 disciples must have had. Um, they were anti-Roman. They hated the Roman Empire. They did everything to uh, disrupt the Roman economy, Roman politics. And if Eventually, they were all killed out by the uh, Homeland Security Department of the Roman Empire. Okay? One of them was Simon. You know the tax collectors? Who are some famous tax collectors that all of you know? Matthew, oh, there you go. Matthew Levi, and then a short guy named Zacchaeus who had affinity for trees. Um, they were individuals who were highly, highly, highly educated. Um, of the 12 disciples, the two most educated were, one of them was Matthew Levi, and the other one was, anyone know? was Judas, okay? Two highly educated, the other 10 were, were uh, grade school dropouts, and they always defer to these two for, for the larger you know, decisions or whatnot, except for Peter, because he had a big, uh, big ambition in life. And uh, one characteristic about the tax collectors is that they betrayed their own people. The reason why is the Roman Empire was very smart. When they went into a new territory and they conquered new people, they said, hey, you can still worship the way you want, but all of you have to do military service. So when they came into Judea, they conquered all these guys and said, hey, you can keep your temple, you can do all, your, all the things that you want to do, but all of you have to come and do military service. Well, guess what? Jews, are they going to fight on Sabbath? They're not. It's Friday sundown and to Saturday sundown, they're just going to do nothing. So they were often unreliable military guys, and they had dietary problems because in the army, are they going to have gluten-free, vegan, you know, uh, kosher, kosher-free, all these options at the military? No, they're going to give you mice, and you're going to eat it whether you like it or not. So the Jews were always problematic. So amongst the empire, they said to the Jews, okay, you are absolved of military service, but guess what? We're going to up your taxes. And because they up their taxes, just like we do in, in America, if the taxes are too high, the people get angry and we start revolting um, and throw tea overboard. Um, the Jews also did similar things and they were very anti-Roman. But there were some educated people who said, hey, we're going to work for the Roman government and we're going to actually collect taxes from everyone. Can you imagine the internal disputes that Matthew Levi, who is pro-Roman, would have had with Simon, who is the terrorist, anti-Roman? Okay. Can you imagine the dialogues there? Okay. It's like Jesus hired a CIA agent and one from Al-Qaeda. And, hey, join the church. And they're part of the elders board. Okay. That's very interesting. The primary two groups that we're going to spend a lot of time on this morning are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Matthew 3, 7 and 16, in Matthew 16, 1, the two are associated with each other. Uh, the Bible reads, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to baptism, he warned unto them, O generation of what? Of vipers, And you do realize that this is not a very pleasant thing to say to people. Uh, in this day and age, if we call someone a generation of vipers, you're just, oh, thank you. You know, uh, that doesn't mean anything to us. This was essentially the closest thing you could get to a derogatory swear. Uh, not that Jesus was swearing, but if well, your generation means you are the children of, of vipers. Meaning your parents are what? Snakes then you're a son of a whatever, 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 whatever. Okay, That's kind of the, the equivalent of what Jesus was saying. These individuals were highly caustic to Jesus' ministry. 16 verse 1, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. We're going to do a little bit of in-depth study on these two groups. The Pharisee. The Pharisee comes from the root word parushim, which means to be separated from the rest of the group. They were a religious and political party existing around the 2nd century B.C. And back then, Greek culture was everywhere. This is a little bit before the Romans came on the scene. And they said, hey, we hate the culture. We have to separate ourselves from the culture. And we're going to develop our own uh, sphere of influence. They believed that we have not, or they did not obey the law of Moses enough. And basically, 
And I want you guys to think in the, how the modern correlations happen today. They said the coming of the Messiah is dependent on our own righteousness. Are there people here today, not, not in this room, but in, in the church today, that believe Jesus' second coming is dependent on my own works and righteousness? Okay, there are people that believe that. Now, they believe the same thing. They studied the Old Testament, and they said, you know what? These guys disobeyed the entire time. That's why God was not blessing them. Now, we had all up to us for us to fulfill the righteousness of the, of the law of Moses. They must be sticklers of the law, seekers of righteousness, and they added to the word. They had all these other commentaries and, and whatnot. Um, but I'm using the words conservative and liberal in, in the terms that we are probably most familiar today. But if we take a literal version of the words, they were contemporary conservatives, but scripturally liberal. Okay, does that make sense? When it came to scripture, they added more things to it. That's why we call them a liberal in that sense. Not that they loosely interpreted things, but they just added more to scripture. They were um, part of the middle class. They were not the upper class. A lot of them were merchants. Um, and because they were anti the other guys, the Sadducees, they were lower class. The poor people really, really, really revered them. They're like, wow, you're, fair. you're so awesome. You're so righteous. You're so pure. You're so, you're so you, you know, whatever. You smell nice, and, and we, we like you very much. Um, after post uh, AD 70, and 70 is when the temple of, of, of Jerusalem collapsed and was destroyed by the Romans, they asked themselves, hey, what do we do without the temple? And the Jews that we know today, the, the Jews that we, we think of, well, contemporary Jews, are the, the remaining um, uh, people <laughs> of, of the Pharisees. Okay? The other branches of, of the Jews were eliminated. In Matthew 16, um, and here, this is going to get a little deep here. Matthew 16, verse 6, Jesus said unto them, he's talking to the disciples, take heed and beware of the what? The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if you look at the context of this, this passage, I think it's hilarious because the, Sadducee, uh, the disciples didn't get it. They didn't think about the yeast. They associated yeast with bread and bread with food. And they thought Jesus was blasting them from not bringing food. Okay? So verse 11, How is it that you do not understand that I speak it not to you concerning what? Bread. Okay, I don't care about your food. <laughs> that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 12, Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the what? The doctrine of the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. In Luke 12, verse 1, this is the same exact passage, but Jesus, uh, it, Luke gives a little bit more description here. At the last part it says, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? Hypocrisy. The Pharisees had a variety of components to them. The first thing is, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying here? Were the Pharisees these, these evil, evil, evil people? To a large degree, they were good church-going people. Okay? They were normal, conservative, Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Okay. Now, Jesus was saying, your righteousness needs to exceed the externalities of these individuals. Okay. So they had some amount of righteousness that Jesus ascribes to them. Um, but Jesus says something more is necessary. Matthew 9, verse 11. The second component is, when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master uh, with publican sinners? Mark 7, 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not... Thy disciples, according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with what? So they're all about purity. They're all about the ceremonies of washing your hands and making sure you use alcohol wipes and making sure that, you know, you didn't touch this one after this and, and whatnot. Um, this tradition still exists today. I went to a Jewish college, and in the cafeteria, there are two sections where you get to sit. One is the kosher section, and one is the non-kosher section. And I, as a Gentile, come in and I have to pick up a Gentile tray and pick up Gentile knives and forks and a Gentile cup and I have to sit on the Gentile side, right? And I have a little Gentile, it's a white tray and they get a nice little brown tray. Uh, when I take my Gentile uh, cup and I drink it and then by accident um, I go over to the, the kosher side and place it on the table, guess what I've done to the table? 
have defiled the whole thing. Right? So then there are kosher police who walk amongst us, and, uh, and uh, they scream out violation of, of something, code 94573, you know, and, and uh, they take this, and then they have to reconsecrate the little circle where this has contact touched it, okay? Um, after spending four years in that environment, you start thinking that you're contaminated with something going, it's going to lunch. Uh, but this is what Jesus was encountering, I think, even to a more severe degree in his day. Um, can you imagine Jesus was not really concerned with these things? And in this context, he's saying, hey, it's not what's on the outside that contaminates you, but it's what comes out of your mouth, the words and the, and the intents of the, the heart that contaminate you. Three, they were known for their discipline. 9.14, then came to him the disciples of John, saying, why do we and the Pharisees, what? Fast, and what's the word after that? Often. We fast often. They're into discipline. They're into, into the aesthetic disciplines. But your disciples, what? Don't fast. And in addition to that, in Luke 5.33, why do the disciples of John fast often make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but your disciples, what do they do? They eat and drink. So can you imagine these guys are, are, are getting up early in the morning, they're coming to morning prayer at GYC at 4 o'clock, and they're praying, and they're fasting, and they're taking out these whips and whipping themselves in the back, and they have like headbands and bandanas, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying. And then there's a group of people who, who wake up, <laughs> and then they eat all day, you know, and, and they're just talking and laughing, and I'm exaggerating, but they're known for their discipline. And Pharisees were also known for their law-keeping. Matthew 12, 2. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful upon the Sabbath day. They're into Sabbath keeping. Um, Philippians 3, 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of what? Okay. You see how he does this? He's describing himself. And he says, when it comes to keeping the law, he calls, I have the status of a, of a Pharisee. Which means that's a very high level of law keeping. In Acts 5.34, there's a guy named Gamaliel who was a doctor of the law and a study of the law. Um, when it comes to law keeping, the, 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 the Orthodox Jews that I encountered were, were very extreme. And if, if there are Adventists who think that, uh, man, there's some conservative legalists out there, legalism in Adventism does not come close to the legalism in Judaism. Okay? The funny thing is they actually have a good time and a, and a fun time in being legalistic. Um, in Judaism, whereas in Adventism, people are usually miserable in being legalistic. Um, they will not uh, cut toilet paper on Sabbath because cutting toilet paper is, is work. So Friday night, you have tissue paper along the stalls, and you don't have a roll because the roll is, is work. Um, in our school, that the school, Brandeis University that I went to, we did not have electronic card systems. You know, every other school in Boston, which has about 80, 80 colleges, you know, you, deet, you get in, deet, well, we can't do that in our school because on Sabbath, if you use the deet, what, you, what have you just done? You just worked. So we had old-fashioned, what, keys. <laughs> you go into the dorm, you have another key. In your room, you have another key. So three keys going around everywhere you go. What's that? Working is not, the, turning your key is not work, sister. That, that is, that is. <laughs> but a card, deet is. Um, and I don't mean to make, make fun of them. Well, I, I did make fun of them when I was there. <laughs> uh, we, we discussed the minutia of the law. Uh, but they have all these external rules outside of the Sabbath keeping. Now, they knew I was a Sabbath keeper. And when I went to Sabbath, on, uh, Sabbath when I went to church on Friday night, I drove my car. To them, this was, <laughs> how can these things be? You know, like, how can you drive on Saturday if you're a Sabbath? You're not a Sabbath keeper. You are a uh, a Gentile, weird person. <laughs> all these extra rules were created by all these other rabbis throughout the centuries, and they said basically, if you start a fire, you have you have you have started work. If you have destroyed something, that is work. So toilet paper, if you're ripping it, you're destroying it. So therefore, it is work. If a card goes through the little scanner thing, electricity is being fired. Electricity is fire. That is work. Key, you put it in. Is there any fire now? If you cause a spark from the friction of it. <laughs> I don't know how that works out, but um, so just really slowly put the key in, and I, I don't know. Um, and a lot of these things we can laugh about, and I would say even discussion with some of the Jewish friends that I had, they also laugh about themselves. 
Because there comes to a point where it's absurd on how to keep some of these things. And I believe Jesus was attacking this form of legalism, not some of the things that we're fighting in our church today. And I think our, our discussions inside the church are just infantile compared to that. But anyway, the point is that they were sticklers to the law and they added to the law as well. Um, number five, they were mean. Okay, they were very, very mean, mean people. I don't know other words to say it. In Matthew twelve fourteen, that the Pharisees went out and held a what? A council against who? Again, him, and him is referring to Jesus, how they might destroy him. And in the Greek, it means how to kill him. Okay, so if, if you're a group of people who are meeting behind someone's back to kill that person, you're pretty mean. In 22:15, then went the Pharisees into council how they might entangle him in his what? His talk. So they would actually have strategizing sessions behind the scenes. So you know what? If he mentions this, then we'll say this. And if he says this, then then you, hey, hey, you mentioned this, and we're gonna have to you interrupt him and wait for his answer. That's what five seconds, and then we all and then and they do these things. That's really really mean. Okay. Number six, they were offended often in Matthew fifteen twelve. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were what offended? That's a shocker. Number seven. They rejected the counsel in, of God. In Luke 7.30, the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. Number eight, they were self-righteous. You know this in the prayer of Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. A publican is not a republican, by the way. There are some people who get mixed up by that. A publican means is a, is a tax collector or one who works for the IRS. If you don't work, if, anyway, I'll keep on going. Oh, 11. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, saying, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this, what? Can you just imagine praying that on Sabbath morning? Yeah, it's horrible. Okay, number nine, there are watchers. They watched everything that you do. In Luke 7, 39, then the, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it and spake with himself, within himself, saying, this man if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. This is the story of Mary Magdalene who came. And uh, this Pharisee, who we learned later on to be Simon, saying, hey, he's thinking this in his mind and being highly critical. Um, Luke 11, when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not washed before his dinner, before dinner, first washed before dinner. Luke 14, 1, it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat on the Sabbath day that they, what? They watched him. Okay, does this happen today? You know, you go to a cafeteria and you have some, you put, you know, you figure, hey, I'm going to have some cheese today. And everyone's looking at you like, is, is that che- cheese? Oh, he's one of those, the cheese eaters, you know. And anyway, we should have refrained from cheese, but, you know, do what you got to do about cheese. All right, number 10, inside and the outside. In Matthew 23 and in Luke 11, I think it's Luke 11. Yeah, Luke 11. You have one of the most caustic, sermons or diatribes that Jesus mentions to, uh, to the Pharisees. Um, if we had time, we'd do an analysis of the entire passage. But verse 14, he says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. In verse 23, he says the same, says the same thing. But in between, he says he blasts them. Um, he's, this is not nice, loving Jesus here. This is uh, rebuking Jesus. And I believe he's rebuking out of love here for them, for their salvation. Verse 14, For you devour widows' houses... And for a pretense, make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Verse 23, you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These things you ought you have to done. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. What's happening here? On the external minutia, they're really, 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 really good at. But for the internal major things, what do they do? Absolutely nothing. Okay, so there's a disconnect between the outside and the inside. Um, I believe this is a problem that's plaguing not only conservatives but on liberals and conservatives. And this is just an unconverted thing to do. Um, verse 25: Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the what? The outside of the cup and the platter, but within, which is another way for the inside, they are full of extortion, excess. Verse 26. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is what? Inside the cup and platter, that the what? Outside of them may be clean also. Verse 27, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, 
but on the inside full of dead, bone, dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. In Luke 11, this is the same uh, passage, uh, corresponding passage. Verse 39, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but the inward is full of ravening and wickedness. And in verse 43, he says, Woe unto you Pharisees, for you love the what? Uppermost seats in the Senate. Well, what's so great about the uppermost seats? It's all about the externality of things. Okay, everyone can see you and the greetings in the market. So where all these people are, they're like, hey, how are you? Hey, and, and inside, they're, they're horrible, mean people. Okay? Sadducees. Sadducees. The Sadducees were a religious and political party also. The Sadducees were the wealthy men of their day. They tried to get along with the Roman government through politics and social climbing. These were individuals who said, you know what? It is not about our righteousness that can bring the Messiah in. Now it's all up to us, us to work within society and start using compromise and getting into politics and hand-in-hand and, and hand with the Roman government and trying to make the, 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 uh, the, 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 uh, the Israelite nation uh, return again. They rejected oral tradition. They held only to the law of Moses, and they rejected everything else. Okay? So in this sense, they were a more liberal but they were scripturally what? Conservative. Very good. Um, they removed from the word, oh, that's what I said there, socially, uh, socially liberal. They believed in the temple. They adopted Greek culture. They were hated by the middle and lower classes. And they believed that the temple will provide all atonement. Do you know the passages in the Old Testament where the Jews were saying, the temple, the temple, and the temple, that's all we have, the temple, the temple, temple. And they're like, yay, the temple, the temple, temple. And the disciples brought Jesus, and Jesus, look at the temple, it's our temple, yay, yay, yay. And Jesus is like, hey, this thing's going to be crushed. And then the, <laughs> the disciples are like, what? <laughs> and that's Matthew 24. You know Matthew 24, the end of the world and all these things? Anyway. Um, in AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, all the Sadducees were, were, were like distraught. And they were going into a coma, and they didn't know what to do, and they, they all died. They disbanded after that. Okay? They, don't, they do not exist today. Sadducees, number one, they do not believe in the resurrection. In Mark 12, verse, uh, verse 18, Then came unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no, what? Resurrection. Luke 20 says the same thing. Number two, they don't believe in anything supernatural. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither what? Angel, nor? Spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And basically, their principles are, if we don't, what, see it, then it does not. Yesterday uh, afternoon, we talked about some of the, the liberal theology, and there was three principles. Principles of, of, of analogy, points of correlation, and criticism. This is the same exact idea, right? If people don't walk on water today, then they didn't walk on water in history. Then if the Bible says that someone walked on water in the past then that must not be true, and that's up to me to discern which is what, okay? Today, we don't have big uh, waterfall, uh, rain coming down from the sky and having humongous global floods, so therefore in the past, that must have not existed either, you know, that kind of stuff, okay? Uh, number three, they do not believe in Scripture. This is what Jesus was saying in, in verse 23. Um, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, raise up his seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren. This is a, 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 um, a uh, for example, uh, they're playing devil's advocate here. Okay, what if story. And the first, which when he had married his wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second, third, unto the seventh, last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Do you guys know the story? This is a hypothetical scenario. Okay, back then, according to Leverett marriage, if you were married to her, <laughs> I'm like, should I be the guy or the girl here? Okay, I'm the guy. Okay. If, if, I, if I were married to, yeah, if I'm married to the girl and, and I die, then it is the duty of my younger brother to marry her, right? But then he dies, and then I don't know what kind of genetic disease this family had, but all seven brothers die. And finally, the two-year-old boy has to marry this 30-year-old this lady, okay? And then he finally dies. Then on the resurrection morning, they're saying, hey, what if, what if, what's the what-if scenario if, you know, on, on the plains of heaven, you know, I see my wife and we're running towards each other and the wind is blowing and we're, we're embracing each other. And as I embrace her, my little brother is embracing me and then his little brother is here. And then the little seventh brother is crawling along and, and, and 
hey, my wife, you know. How does that work in heaven? How does that work in heaven? Um, verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, and this is the brilliant brilliance of Jesus. Jesus never gets into their what-if scenarios, okay? Now, I know a lot of young people have what-if questions. Don't ask what-if questions, okay? I always say, they always say, Pastor, what if da 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 that never happened. That can never happen. It's a what-if scenario. So I always answer, what if you never asked that question? Okay? That usually just... Anyway, Jesus r- rarely, if at any times, answers what their what-if questions. Rather, he sees through the question, and he addresses that instead. Okay? So usually when people are asking a what-if question, it's not the what-if curiosity that they're trying to uh, assuage. It's, there's, there's something else going on in the heart. Okay, and that's what we need the Holy Spirit to help us out with that. Verse 29, he says, Jesus answered and said unto them, You do what? Err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. And we're not going to go into an actual discussion of this, but in verse 30, he says, For in the resurrection, neither they marry. Verse 31, as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not what? Read. And he points them back to scripture. Okay, he's knowing the scriptures. Uh, verse 33, when the multitude had heard this, they were what? Go figure, they're astonished. That is doctrine. Of course they are. Okay, Sadducees, number four, they were what? Unconverted. The Pharisees, as much as a problem they were to Jesus, in the book of Acts, a lot of them were converted. Who are the two most popular Pharisees who joined the Christian rank? One of them was John chapter 3, Nicodemus, and then the other rich guy, what was his name? Joseph Marathia, and because of these two guys, the, the early church was supported financially by this, these two individuals. Not only them, but the Christian record says many of the Pharisees believed. They started believing and accepting Jesus. They had this wealth of a bank of knowledge from the entire Old Testament to draw from, and they said, wow, Jesus is the manifestation and the, the climax of the entire Old Testament. Now, for the Sadducees, who were, who were more, let's call them liberal, they did not believe all of Scripture. There was no basis to work from. So when they saw Jesus, they were the, often the ones that persecuted him even more. And in Acts chapter 4, as they spake unto the people, the, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the who? Sadducees came upon them. And a lot of the Sadducees did not jump on board to the Christian message. Okay, they could not. There's just uh, no basis there. Acts 5.17, when the high priest rose up and all they, they that were with him, which is called the sect of the who? Sadducees were filled in indignation and continued persecuting a lot of the uh, other Christians. Um, Acts 23, you are familiar with this. I love this passage because Paul is awesome. Uh, verse 6, when Paul, and Paul's right in the middle, and he knows the, the, the political um, uh, fervor that's in the background. Verse 6, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council. And if you look at the context, they're not persecuting him on the grounds of resurrection belief at all. Okay? They're, they're, the topic is on something else altogether. But he says, and I love it, he cried out in the council. Okay, he's crying out, and he's saying that magic word that's going to make everyone mad. Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee. <laughs> Can you imagine? The minute he says that, all the Pharisees are saying, oh, he's, he's one of us. And all the Sadducees, what? He's not one of us. And the son of a Pharisee, which is huge. In the Middle Eastern culture, in the Eastern culture, who your dad is, is, is determines who you are. Man, he's one of his bloodline. He's one of us. Of the hope and the what? Resurrection of the dead, I'm called into question. The reality, he was called into question for believing Christ. But he adapts that and he brings in the magic word of resurrection. Boom! Pharisees, yes, we believe in the resurrection also. Sadducees, no, there is no resurrection. Ah! And while they're fighting, Paul just, you know, goes away, okay? <laughs> Verse 7, when he had so said, there arose a dissension, and that's a mild way of putting it, the dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the multitude was what? Divided. And I believe, as Christians, we should know what the politics landscape is, not to play the politics, but we should be aware of cognizant Christians of what's going out in the scene. When I mean the politics, I'm not saying knowing the Republicans from the Democrats. I'm not saying we should vote for Obama or Palin or you know, whoever, whatever. I'm talking about the issues involved in church that have relevance to every church member. Amen? Is that clear? Okay. Mark chapter 8. 
The Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking a sign from him from heaven, tempting him. Verse 15. And this is the same exact story about the bread. Verse 15. And Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the what? Pharisees. Okay, we've read that in Matthew, and we've read that in Mark, uh, Luke, right? It's clear, clear. In Matthew, he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the what? Sadducees. Now, in the passage in Mark, which is the corresponding passage, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and then the leaven of who? Herod. Is there an error in Scripture? There are some individuals that say that this was an error and they actually have the audacity to remove Herod's name and guess what they insert there? Sadducees. Because they say that Matthew is so much more awesome than Mark. Then some guys on the other side say, no, 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 we like Mark because he smells better and Matthew is older, so we're going to take Herod and we're going to erase Sadducees from Matthew and insert Herod there instead. Okay, let me ask you, who's right? Who are the pro-Matthewites? Raise your hands. Who are the pro-Markites? Raise your hands. How many of you know exactly what I'm trying to say and are not raising your hands at all? Okay, very good. Okay. The reality is both passages were inspired. Okay. How do we reconcile these two passages? Could it be that Jesus mentioned, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herod? Matthew just decided to mention the first two, and Mark decided to mention the first and the and Luke just mentioned what? Just one. Okay. Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the, the leaven of Herod. What are, what are the Herodians? They are political connivers. Okay. They're the ones who sat next to Herod and they're trying to mooch off of him and, and, and trying to use uh, nice words to make him feel nice and, and warm and fuzzy. They were Romanizers. They wanted to be part of the, the elite of the Roman Empire. And they followed Rome, Herod and his, and, his, and his followers. Mark 3, 6. The Pharisees went forth and straight away took counsel with the who? Herodians. Okay? For, the, for Herod's perspective, Jesus was very, very inconvenient. He was drawing the, the, the love of the people away from the emperor. And he was bringing a, a theology of another kind of kingdom instead of the Roman Empire. So they wanted to kill him. Mark 12, 13, they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. So they were part of all this. In Mark 6, they also had pride. Um, let's read here, verse 20. Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man, and observed him. When, he had, when, he, when we had heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Okay? So Herod and John the Baptist had a good relationship. Then guess what happened? A dumb birthday party happens. Verse 21. Convenient day was come that Herod, on his birthday, made a supper to his lord's high captain's chief states of Galilee. And here comes a girl, you know, wearing some kind of Christina Aguilera dress. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and, and danced, and by the way, when she's dancing, she's not doing the Macarena. She's doing some kind of dance dance, you understand. And they're all drunk here. And pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever you will, and I will what? Give it to you. Verse 25, she goes and talks to her mom. She came in straightway and with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that you give me by and by in a charger the head of Pastor John the Baptist. Okay? Do you think this guy's going to say yes? Okay? This is his own pastor. In verse 20, it says he heard him gladly. But, verse 26, the king was a little bit sorry. Is that what it says? It was exceedingly. Why is it exceedingly? Because this is a person that he knows. Okay. And if this were any other context, he would have said, no, girls, sit down and, and put some clothes on. Okay. But verse 26, yet for his what? His oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not what? Reject her. Okay. There are some people who are so cognizant of what's going on. Okay. And we're going to talk about this in the, in the, in the session right after this. The, I call them centrists that they're cognizant of what's going on, on the left-hand side, and they're cognizant of what's on the right-hand side, and they're trying to politically find some kind of balance, and they're compromising to make sure they get no one mad here. Okay? Here, he doesn't want to get anyone mad, and he's, also, he's dealing with pride. What does he do? He kills John the Baptist as a result. Okay? This is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, that, that, uh, not Scripture, the Spirit of Prophecy, that has helped me a lot. Jesus was in the midst of all this. Okay? Are we in the midst of, of, of Sadducees and Pharisees in our church today? 
as young people, we can be easily discouraged by the two sides fighting against each other. And young people, if you're under the age of 30 or 25 or, or whatnot, you do not realize some of the burned factors, burned people, and, and the factors that cause people to be burned after the age 30, 40, 15, 60. Okay? A lot of the, 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 the vitriol that we see in the church is not because they're, 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 uh, uh, this is from the Bible, this is from the church. It's because they've been burned by one side and they're pendulum swinging to the other side. I believe the answer to the older folk who are burned and then to the younger folk who have no idea what's going on is Jesus' example. Okay, let's read this a little bit more in depth. Jesus was a what? Perfect pattern of what we should be. I want to emphasize the perfect pattern. No other character in Scripture is a perfect pattern. Just because David had multiple wives does not mean we can have multiple wives. Amen, everyone? Just because Moses killed doesn't mean we can kill. Amen? Okay. Do not use a Bible character to justify your own ethics. The only person is who? It's Jesus. Jesus was a perfect pattern of what we should be. He was the what? The strictest observer of his father's what? Now, if the period ended right there, we would all call Jesus a what? A Pharisee and a, a legalist and a conservative and a a, a what? A what? A heretic? A Republican? There's always one in every group. Okay, okay the politics comes out. He was the strictest observer of his father's law, comma, yet he moved in what? Perfect freedom. Now, let's say we take out the first line, said Jesus was, oh, Jesus moved in perfect freedom. What would we call that? Liberal. What else? Does this hit you in any way? I wanted this. I'm asking to sink down in your souls. How many of young people do you know that say, I want to be free? I want to be free from this church thing. I want to just do what I want to do. Is it possible to experience freedom in the law? Now, I would say this experience is a rare experience in the church. Either people want to be just free for freedom's sake or locked into the law. But Jesus was completely free in the law. What does that mean? That's the experience we should be striving for. Amen? He had all the fervor of the enthusiast. Period. Who would that be? Why are the liberals in the church the happy ones? Why are the conservatives, conservatives the ones with brows? They're just, you know, they're just always frowning all the time. I think it's because it's all the veggie meat that we eat. There's not enough B12 and causes them to be depressed or something. Okay. <laughs> Liberals end up eating whatever they want, so they get, you know, all the... Anyway, I'll stop there. <laughs> he had all the fervor of the enthusiast, yet he was what? Calm and... And... Do you see the balance in this passage? This is Ellen White, friends. Now, depending on our personalities or temperaments, you may be one that's more sanguine and you're like, ah, you're the enthusiast, yeah, how's it going? And you're the one that, you're the, you're the people that's in the lobby that when GYC starts, you're running to the other side, screaming the whole time and embracing someone at the other end. Okay? Now, while there's those type of people, there's others who are on the sidelines and they're calm and they're possessed and they're shaking their heads at the people who are so emotional. Okay? <laughs> Now, what I see here is Jesus was enthusiastic and calm all at the same time. Isn't this the balance we should aim for? Amen? He was elevated above the common affairs of the world, period. What does that sound like to you? A snob, yes? Who does not condescend to the common level and does not, you know, just kind of stays above the, the whatever. He was elevated above the common affairs of the world, yet he did not exclude himself from what? Society. So he's with the people, yet there's a separation factor. He does not make himself common and mean and and get himself into dirty jokes and and just the, the base things. Yet, he's not a snob and distances himself away from people at all. There's a balance there. There's a, there, there's a certain, certain dynamic that Jesus had. 
He dined with publicans and sinners, and he played with who? Little children. Do you know what little children are? They're little children. There's fluids coming out of them at all times. They're running around and they're, they're sticky, you know, and it's just. But Jesus played with them. When you can play with young people, it shows a lot about your character. Do you know that? And when, young, when little children like you, that shows you something about your character. Have you ever seen someone play with a little child and the child doesn't want to be there? It's one of the most awkward things to watch. <laughs> He's like pushing him away. Mommy. Anyway, he took them in his arms and he, what did he do? He blessed them. Okay. Jesus graced the wedding with his presence. Jesus also shed tears at the grave of Lazarus. He was a lover of the beautiful in nature and used the lilies to illustrate the value of natural simplicity in the sight of God above what? Artificial display. He used the occupation of the husbandman to illustrate the most sublime truths. I love this. His zeal never degenerated into what? Passion. Can we be zealous without being passionate. Now, this passion, meaning it's meaning the baser passion, you understand. Okay. Sometimes we try to um, supplant our lack of zeal for anger. Yes? A lot of times we find anger on the conservative side as well as the liberal side. And we're going to look at that a lot more in depth in our next session. Okay. But we need this tempered zeal that's only found in the Spirit of God. And sometimes we get insecure because we don't have this, the Spirit of God. We try to supplant with, with passion instead. Nor his consistency into what? Selfish what? Okay, you read these words as if you don't know what they mean. What's obstinacy mean? Stubbornness. Meaning Jesus was flexible while being consistent at the same time. His benevolence never savored of weakness, nor his sympathy of what? sentimentalism. Do you see the balance there? Jesus was never overly sympathetic as a, as a Hallmark card. <laughs> oh, is that, is, that, is, that, is that what you're going through? I, I'm so sorry. Dude, would you like a hug? <laughs> Jesus is not some big purple dinosaur. Okay. He had a principled uh, uh, benevolence about him that, that I, just, I just love. It never savored of weakness nor a sympathy of sentimentalism. He combined the innocence and the simplicity of a what? With what? Manly strength. He was an adult. He's a par excellence. He was a man. He was, a, he was strong. He was a masculine character. At the same time, he had the innocence of a child. He combined an all-absorbing devotion to God with what? Tender love for man. And we're going to look at some of the, the components of, there's two, two sides of the church. One side is into devotion and commitment and honor and integrity and principles and decisions. And the other side is into love and grace and happiness and, 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 and joy. Okay. In the end, aren't these two things essentially the same? The church is wonderful, not just the church, but the human being is, is, is wonderful in taking a, a little coin and, and slicing that coin in half and saying that the head side is completely different from the tail side. But the reality of it, when you put the two together, it's still one what? It's one coin. Anyway, all-absorbing devotion to God with tender love for man, he possessed commanding what? Dignity. I love that. Commanding dignity. Think of a military admiral or, 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 or a royal king combined with the winning grace of what? Humility. He manifested under unyielding firmness with gentleness. And I love this. And she busts out into prayer here. May we live daily in close connection with this perfect, faultless character. We have not six patterns to follow, nor what? Five. We only have one, and that is Christ Jesus. Isn't this what we're missing in the church? Amen? Now what happens is this. If we're missing one component, we end up going swinging one side. And because we get a burn experience, we swing to the other side. And we actually swing harder to the other side. 
Then we swing a little too much, we get burned, so we go to the other side, and we swing to the other side. And guess what happens? We have this really chaotic pendulum thing going on. And eventually the clock breaks down, and then the, pen, the, the weight just swings on out. Okay? I want to ask you this. One, how many of you know that the church right now is in crisis? What is the crisis of the church? Is it because we don't have enough members? Is it because truth isn't being preached hard enough? Is it because we've got to start rebuking people from the pulpit more? Is it because we're not professing grace enough? Is it because we're not reading Ellen White enough? Is it because we have too much cheese in our hot dogs? Is it because the length of people's skirts are too short? Is it because men's haircuts are getting longer and longer and it's annoying me? Is that what it is? What is the problem in the church? I would say if we have a correct image of Jesus, the world would flock to this church. Seventh-day Adventist message is not only true and right, but it has the clearest vision of Jesus. Did you know that? All these doctrines that we have, doctrines are not used as some kind of test. They are to elucidate our vision of who? Of Jesus. That's why it's right, because it's a picture of Jesus. And that draws people in. Okay. Liberal people want to remove the doctrines, and then conservatives only want to put doctrines and remove Jesus. Anyway, I'm, over, I'm oversimplifying some of these, 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 these things. Jesus says, beware of yeast. What are the three yeasts we cover? First one is Sadducee. Second one is Pharisee. Third one is Herodians. Okay. If we put this in today's language, one is the right, one second is the left, and third is centrist, right in the middle. Why does Jesus use the image of yeast? Yeast is small, it's imperceptible, it's no taste, it's dirty. Why doesn't Jesus say, beware of the sugar of, of, of the Pharisees? The salt, the paprika, the, the, the black pepper. <laughs> Something we can't say that here. Okay. Why doesn't Jesus use some of these other things? Yeast, all you need is what? A little bit, and it leavens the whole whole lump. When I was in, in, uh, in, in, in Brandeis University, it's a Jewish-sponsored college, um, every, day, every year at Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, people would clean like crazy. And when I mean clean, they would clean like crazy. They'd take out all the books from the bookshelf, and they take a rag and make sure that all the dust, not only in the bottom, but the side, was gone. They take a Q-tip, and they go along the edge of the, where the wall meets the ceiling, and they get all the dust in, that cor in the corners there. They go inside their cars, and they take the Q-tip, and they go inside the CD player. Okay? How many of you, when you drive your cars, you, you know there's dust in there, but you've, you've acclimated your eyes not to acknowledge that there's dust in there? Okay? It's dirty. <laughs> It's very, very dirty. And what they do is they go through, they go, they through a, a, a dust audit of their entire rooms. Anyway, I'm, I'm dorm, rooming in this dorm, and I asked, hey, what, what are you guys doing? Why are you guys going all out to clean? And guess what they said? We cannot have any leaven in our household. Why not? We're preparing for the day of judgment. It is the day of atonement is here. And we need to make sure that we are clean. So they launder all their clothes, and they fast, and they make sure that they eat nothing that may have yeast in it. They don't eat anything, and they don't even brush their teeth. Do you know why? Because by chance, a little speck of yeast might come and fall on their toothbrush, and if they pick up their toothbrush, and they brush their teeth, what happens to their entire body? They've defiled their entire body. Then they have to mouthwash themselves you know, seven times seven, or I don't know what they got to do to get that yeast out of their body. If there are people who are literally preparing for the day of atonement like that, Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry about the leaven. Does leaven do anything to you? No. But it's not about leaven. It's about the doctrine of the what? The Pharisees and Sadducees. Could it be? Now that we're living in the anti-typical day of atonement, and if you have no idea what that means, you need to go to Davidson Seminar down the road. Okay. Now that we're living in the day of atonement, Shouldn't we prepare ourselves for the second coming of Jesus in a similar way, not physically, but what? 
but spiritually? How many of us have a little bit of Pharisaism in us? Don't raise your hands. But you have a little bit of outside to inside disconnect. You have a little bit of hypocrisy. You have a little bit of, I'm watching what other people do. A little bit of, I am better than you. My righteousness will save me more than you. How many of us have a little bit of of Sadduceeism in us? A little bit of doubt. That when we encounter Scripture, we say, you know what? I don't like this passage, so I'll X this out. And when I look at this passage, I like it. So this must supersede this passage. This seminar and the yesterday's seminar is preparing the ground for the seminar after this. Okay? We're going to look at some, some issues in the church. And I want to say, young people, when we look at these issues afresh, we know the answers to them. The previous generations have been burned because of the Pharisaism, Pharisaism and the Sadduceeism that they can't see these issues clearly, I believe. The third leaven is what? Is Herodian, Herodianism. I'm an only child. I hate it when my parents fight. And I've learned to be a centrist. Okay? My dad wants to take his car. My mom wants to take her car. So I was like, okay, let's compromise. Let's all walk. <laughs> okay? You want to eat this? You want to eat that? Let's just put it in a blender and we can eat the same thing together. Okay? That, the, the, the political thinking and, and trying to compromise and get both sides happy is also a form of, of yeast. What do we have to have before our eyes always? The left or the right or the center? Neither of them. None of those things. Who is it? We need Jesus in front of us. Amen? Amen, everyone? How many of you want to be a balanced Christian? Hands down, I don't believe you. Question number one, how many of you acknowledge you're not a balanced Christian to begin with? Isn't that reality? Doesn't everyone think, yeah, I'm a balanced Christian. I'm right in the middle. Jesus and I, we're the only two people in the middle. Everyone else is on the side. Right. First, we have to acknowledge, I don't want to be in the middle, in the center. I just want to be wherever Jesus is. Amen? On some things, Jesus is on the left. Did you know that? He's totally there. On other things, he's totally in the right. The right side. <laughs> Over there. Some things, he may be a little on 75%. On the other things, 25%. Other things, he may be 50%. But wherever he is, that's where we have to be. Amen? Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, your son came to this earth, and he spent some time in telling us to beware of leaven. Father, in our modern culture where we're, we don't bake anymore in our kitchens, we don't know what this means. But, Father, our science tells us that yeast is an organism that makes things bigger. It causes gas to bubble up and it causes bread to rise. And, and um, Lord, in, in 1 Corinthians it says it causes us to be puffed up. Father in heaven, I ask for the creation of a new generation, a generation that is not, um, hasn't been touched yet a generation with a certain innocence that can encounter the truths of God's word and can navigate through church issues and can bring the gospel to the rest of the world in a certain gospel apostolic purity. Father, we ask for the redemption of previous generations, and Lord, may we learn from their example, and we thank you for the road that they have already paved before us. But Father, of this church, now that we are living in the Day of Atonement, Cause the leaven to be purged from our lives. Lord, help us not to see things in terms of liberal and conservative. Help us to exist in this context, but may our eyes be solely focused on where Jesus is. Father, we have been enamored with the character of Jesus as delineated by your servant. Lord, help us to have that that zeal that does not be does not uh, degenerated into into passion. Help us to be strict observers of the law, yet have absolute freedom. Father, help us to have smiles on our faces and and have that spiritual experience of grace and love and being being classy, winsome Christians, 
while at the same time having a secure, radical commitment and having your honor before anything else in our lives. Lord, if we have divulged from where you want us to be, forgive us. But as a wonderful shepherd, lead us to the right way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786 Ann Arbor, Michigan 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.